I'm Holly Knight, and you're listening to the Rock Solid Podcast. to be this is small town music this is big town music he's ahead of his time you know but he can't use it if only he could prove it well tomorrow's just a song away a song away a song away Hey everybody, welcome to Rock Solid, the comedy podcast for all things music, both new and classic. I'm Pat Francis, and joining me in the Zoom room today for her second appearance, this time to promote her new autobiography, I Am The Warrior, My Crazy Life Writing The Hits and Rocking The MTV 80s, please welcome legendary songwriter, Holly Knight. Hello, Holly. Hi, Pat. Nice to see you again. Nice to see you again, too. I'm so excited that you finally put your story down on the page. It's been great to leaf through this book and drop in anywhere and read some cool stuff. And uh, I'm just excited to talk to you again. Now, I'm calling this episode Silent Night, Holly Night, because I thought that was kind of clever. And because we're going to talk a little bit about some Christmas music. But first. We're going to delve into I Am the Warrior. Awesome. Uh, Forward by Tina Turner. You have quite a relationship with this woman. So I'm assuming there was probably no other choice to write the forward, or maybe there was. You know, I hadn't really thought about it. And um, it just, I don't know. Yeah, it makes sense. It makes sense. She was the first one I asked. So. So she said yes. So you didn't have to ask anyone else. Exactly. And once you have the best, you know. <laughs> That's right. Put a boom. <laughs> uh, speaking of that, you took the title from the song, The Warrior. Were yes. you considering any of your other song titles to be the title of the book? Um, I was. And I was thinking, of, uh, for instance, The Best. I, I thought of quite a few, but I think my publishers just said, look, the obvious one t- to us is The Warrior. You know, um, I guess I sort of exude that sort of uh, that vibe. So it could have been Invincible. That would have been a, a fine title, too. Yeah, that's true. But it's a good thing I didn't because I guess Pat and Neil are doing an, a musical. So. Um, All right. Yeah. And. Uh, well, that's good for you, too, if they're doing a musical, because obviously the the two songs you're known for writing for Pat Benatar, will they have to be in the musical. Uh, well, yeah, I don't think they could have a musical without putting Battlefield or no. Invincible in them. There's no way. There's no way you could. I mean, you could, but it would be a serious omission that I don't think anyone who went to that musical uh, would enjoy. <laughs> True. I mean, they do have other great songs, sure. but, but, but I mean, are, these are the ones, I mean, they're kind of like attached to each other, you know, at this point, I don't know about invincible, but certainly loves a battlefield. Certainly love is a battlefield is a signature song for Pat Benatar. What's harder, writing a hit song or writing your autobiography? 
Well, there are different mediums, so it's hard to say which is harder. I mean, I put a lot of work into writing this book. It took me about two years, and I probably wrote twice the amount that it's ended up being. Mm -hmm. So it's always better. I kind of do that with songs, too. Like, maybe you might overwrite, and then you start to whittle away like a piece of clay and carve it and trim off the fat and make it really tight, you know? So... Um, I'm more, it's, it's a hard question because I've been writing my whole life, uh, writing songs, Right. I've never written a book before. And, um, fortunately I had enough people that were kind enough to say to me, you, you don't need a ghostwriter. You're a writer. Yes, it's different, but they want to hear your voice. Um, and so you should do it and you shouldn't have, uh, you know, Holly Knight written with blah, blah, blah. You shouldn't ghostwrite. You should, you should just do it. And so I did. And I, I kind of learned as I went, um, also because I wanted it to have some uh, lyric sort of class to it. I didn't want it just to be a story that I just threw on paper and told my story. So I had to think about just the way I do when I write lyrics, like what's a more clever or interesting or poetic way of saying something, you know? Um, and to me, that's what makes great books that are, are really well written, you know, along with a great plot, which... I think this has a great plot, although this isn't fiction. It's entirely true, That's at least according hard. to my memory. <laughs> and that is one of the first things I noticed when I got the book is that it's it's just written by you because almost every rock bio that I own or I see always has with or, you know, another person is helping out. So mm -hmm. I appreciate that. And you can tell, I mean... I've I've met you and talked to you in person and your voice does come through on these pages. And that that's what I want as a fan. Yeah. Well, I also did the audiobook and I was again, they said we want you to narrate it. That came out also on the same day. It's on Audible. And what's cool about the audiobook is that I had found the original demos to some of my biggest songs like um loves the battlefield the best the warrior the warrior especially because of the name of the book right um, invincible and they're they've added those on to the uh audiobook so it's like never before heard that's so great. for anyone yeah so anyone that's interested will will basically hear the truth that on those demos all the parts all the elements are there you know, maybe the production change and things like that, but all the, you know, everything from arrangements to, and depending on the artist, like if it was Tina Turner, she copied everything. And I love that about her because um, she had the respect to, to honor what she got. And we didn't make big fancy demos, but all the parts that mattered, she, she emulated and then made them her own, you know. Prisoner of your love. Entangled in your way. Yes, I'm touched by this show of emotion. Should I be fractured by your lack of devotion? Well, I mean, the first time an artist hears the song, it's it's probably a demo. And so if they like the song, why wouldn't they want to record it the way you envision it? You would think so. But sometimes, yeah. you know, there's a lot of egos in the music business and there have been a lot of producers that hear something and sometimes they change it to make it better, but um, sometimes they don't. And they'll like, you know, they'll change it just because they can. Yeah, you know. true. And is that disappointing when that happens? Oh, yeah, sure. I mean, it's it's sort of like I gave you everything. I mean, I've worked with uh, Mike Chapman, who, who, who's one of the top producers, and I've sponged knowledge off of him, and I've learned so much, and I'm a musician. So I don't, you know, I, I think the parts that are most important are the arrangements and the songs themselves, and I don't really like it when they overproduce them. I'd rather hear it, let, you know, less produced than overproduced, uh, because then it takes away from the beauty of the, the song, and it's harder to hear the song, you know, that doesn't happen that often, but right. it's, it's happened on one or two of my biggest hits, which I write about in my book, as you know, and I'm pretty, I'm pretty uh, forthright in telling my version, my 
not version, but my side of things. You are nothing if not honest in this book. I'm a New Yorker. What can I say? That's yeah, yeah. And you and right, right, uh, right at the beginning, we know you're a New Yorker. So very cool. Now, when you were writing this book for two years, was it hard to think about songwriting? Because like you have an assignment, you have to write this book. So were you able to write any songs at the same time you were writing the book? Or did this consume your life? Um, I, it consumed my life pretty much. And that was by design. I mean, I did do, I did work on one new project that I'm really excited about, but rather than spreading myself too thin, I did focus on the book. I mean, I've been writing for like, you know, 40 years and it's sort of like I, I needed the break, you know, and, um, and it's actually cool because now I feel refreshed and I can go back to songwriting and, um, Frankly, I'm hoping that the the book becomes big enough that there are people out there, certain artists that I would love to work with. And you would think being in the Songwriters Hall of Fame and having as many hits as I've had that I would have access to anybody, but not so, not as much as you would think, because for every big artist out there that I want to work with, um, they're surrounded by like, you know, there's so many, you know, vaults and things that you have to get through and, and, and bodyguards and you know, handlers before you can actually get to the person to say, I want, I would love to write with you. I think we'd be great together. So I'm hoping that the book maybe will get their attention, you know? And when you say that, it's almost nonsense to me. I would think that yes. you could get a right? hold of anyone and get, at least get in a room with someone and see if you have chemistry or present them with a song that you were, had written that you thought would fit their style and to hear that after all these years, it that's that's crazy. It is crazy, but we it's a crazy world. What can I say? Yeah. It is a crazy world. Yeah. And uh but again, you're yeah, you're one of the most successful songwriters of my lifetime. So I mean, I, I love that the that the my crazy life writing the hits and rocking the MTV 80s. I mean, I was in 10th or 11th grade when MTV hit. And we watched it constantly, nonstop, all the time. So much so that my mom called it that goddamn MTV. I mean, because mm -hmm. we always, because, you know, adults. It's always on in the background, right? And it's it like, same with me. I mean, it was the best thing that ever happened to me. And I say yeah. that in the book. And I have one chapter, and it's short, but it's completely devoted to MTV because it was the best thing that ever happened to me because I had so many videos on at the same time, you know, uh, that they started talking about me on the news and stuff. And, um, that was kind of surprising to me. I mean, I never had a PR agent or anything and the yep. music was kind of like my, you know, my sounding board, you know? So, um, and it was just a really special time. The book is centric on, for I mean, you've read it, but just for yeah. people that are listening, the book is centric on that time period of like 1980 to the end of the 80s. And of course, I have, you know, um, my childhood, I have a, a, a sure. story about, you know, how I had my first band, Spider, and there's quite a bit on that. And then Kiss, my time with Kiss, um, it's really a part of my history, history. And um, <laughs> then MTV happened, you know, so it's sort of, uh, I wanted to focus on that because it's sort of like my love letter to the eighties. And, and of course I've had a lot of, I've had hits, I've had TV movie. And in fact, lately I'm having so much TV and movie licensing, but it's actually for a lot of stuff that was popular in the eighties, you know? So it seems like a timely time to be writing about that. I don't think a lot of people have really talked that much about MTV yeah. and it was such a phenomena, you know? And then at the end of the nineties, I wrote the biggest song of my career and kept going, but the MTV kind of just sort of fell apart, you know? I mean, it yeah. wasn't about music anymore, but for that time period, it was just such a precious, special time. I mean, it, 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 it affected pop culture, pop culture affected it, you know, it had spinoff shows like the, the Don Johnson one, Miami Vice, which just was like a glorified, uh, Video Hour worth of videos, yeah. music videos and fashions, and they sort of mirrored each other. And it was a crazy time. I mean, there's a lot of excess and partying and drugs and sex and rock and roll. And it's sort of changed. You know, everything's gotten a lot more serious and planned. You know, there, there are no more crazy accidents like having videos where cows would, would be walking through the, the right in front of the camera through the rim, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, 
there's a group of people that think MTV is just Jersey Shore and stuff like that. They don't remember when the M stood for music. And it was, that's what it was. I never understood why any of these networks, they start as one thing and then they want to, then they want to do everything. Just stick with what you do. And MTV, they, still- they, they're, they're, they're pandering to like, they want to see pandering. what someone reacts to. And then they go running in that direction yeah. with 10 more of that. And they, they're, they're, you know, it doesn't start out that way. What was so great about MTV was it was a new medium. I mean, if you wanted to see a video before that, you hardly saw videos. You'd see like the midnight yeah. special or something like that. But right. this all of a sudden was such a game changer because then everybody started to have a video. Every time a single would come out, a video would come out and you had right. to look great and you had to, and then it's, it became even more crazy where it was less band like and there was more dancing and everything was choreographed. And then, you know, it's sort of like the, with the world being digital now where everything is perfect, but all the raw edges are kind of smoothed out. And I, I miss, you know, I miss the raw edges. I miss yeah. that gritty part, you know. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As a kid growing up in small town Pennsylvania, I would only see my artists in Rolling Stone or Cream or Circus Magazine. And those were just pictures. But with MTV, to see the artist, you know, this is before I went to concerts, to see the artist moving you know, and grooving, it was like, it was like a miracle right in your living room. It was right, because you, you didn't then have to go see them live if you weren't able to, or if you right. didn't have the money or the ability to go, you could yeah. see them 24 seven in your own living room. You Absolutely. Know? It was, it was joyous. I, I, and, and you have all the VJs, you have them all quoted. Uh, they do a quote about the book at the beginning. Except for JJ, because rock and peace, JJ Jackson, right. but everybody else. So I thanked cool. him at the end of the book anyway. I thanked all of them. And yeah, I mean, that really sort of validated what I was trying to capture in this book. And, you know, my hope, my hope is that like the people that grew up watching it and were there when it was all happening, that they'll, they'll kind of close their eyes and, and remember maybe the first time they heard love is a battlefield and they were on, on a date with, you know, a special person or they'll just, you know, it's very nostalgic actually. And it'll make you laugh because you'll remember things that you went through during that time, or you might've wondered something behind one of the songs or, and you're hearing like, the, the stories behind them now. And, and if, and if there are people reading and there are lots of young people that are reading the book, yeah. uh, my hope is that they wish they had been there, you know, because there's nothing like that right now. There's nothing like, I mean, they used to tease, there's going to be a world premiere video this Friday. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was like, right. were like, Oh, we got to see that new video this Friday. I mean, it was, and we would, we would be there. We would, we would wait. It was. Yeah. yeah I, I, would too. Hard to explain. I would too. I would yeah. too. And, um, no, it was just exciting. I mean, I remember the first time I saw Madonna and I went over to Mike Chapman's house. I said, oh, my God, when this video comes on, you have to see this girl. She is she's going to be hot. She, she was doing the song Burning Up, actually. Yeah. And I said, this girl's going to be big, you know, and I and I remember when Prince's video for when Doves Cry, it came out, you know, and he had Wendy and Lisa in the group and just so many memories, you know. And, uh, but a lot of the memories are mine. I mean, that's right. the interesting thing. It's like, yes, I was a fan and I had, you know, my favorite videos, but I had videos that I was very much behind the scenes a part of, you know. And even with my own band, I write about that in the book with my band device where I was in the video. Right. Right down to the wild. 
um, I write about that. And I, you know, it's funny because with YouTube, we have so many um, fans now that we couldn't have possibly had back then. We have almost a million fans if you add up like the video likes and stuff. And um, I talk about why we didn't make a second record because that is the number one question I get asked by fans all the time. Like, what happened? You know, why did you leave Spider? Spider was on its way to, to, to doing really well. That was my first band. Yes, absolutely. Those of you don't know. Um, so it's all there in the book. And there's lots of, as my editor says, juicy and provocative stuff, <laughs> too, because why would I avoid that? Now, juicy and provocative stuff. When you're writing a book and you know that your family and your friends are going to read this stuff, and they might not know these stories, but you're going to put it all out there. Is are you comfortable knowing that people are going to read this, or do you? Obvi, I don't think you're a person that holds back. Right. So, um, but what were you, was there any hesitation about warts and all, and you know, decadence no. and putting it out there? No, there's nothing that I'm ashamed of, and yeah. I have a story to tell. And if men can do it, so can women. Absolutely, you know, for men. So you know, um, I've I've always felt like I was able to you know move about. I had a lot of respect for men. Mm -hmm. I'm not one of those people who have any real me too stories in that book at all. And if there was any ass grabbing, it was on both parts, as I say in the book. There was plenty of ass grab grabbing on both parts. Of course, I'm kidding. You know, I didn't go around grabbing men's ass, but you know, I dated some of them. I married yeah. one or two, um, and. You know, I think it's actually kind of humorous the way I spin it because I don't go into detail. I just say enough that I think it's sort of written in a way that's not trashy. You know, it's elegantly yeah. trashy, if I, anything. I also feel like you don't have any Me Too moments or stories, maybe, because I don't think you would have tolerated it. I wouldn't have. No. There's no way. I mean, I think just the impression my last name is, is, is Knight, um, which came to me in a dream. I talk about that, too. Um and, you know, a lot of my songs were empowering songs about fighting. And I never really even thought about that until, you know, an interviewer said to me once, you know, your songs are always about fighting. Like, what's up with that? And I said, well, they're not all about fighting. And he said, well, no, it's good. It's very compelling. And I thought, well, let me go home. I went home. I looked at the titles. We were like, love is a battlefield and better be good to me and invincible and you know, and I thought in the warrior and I thought, well, geez, you know, he's right. And it was like something I hadn't even been aware of. It was just something that you write what you know. You yeah. Know? And I realized that um, it's not so much about fighting with someone as fighting for something. And my songs are almost like crusades in that way. Um, and they're very dramatic, but it's always fighting for things that I believe I deserve and mm -hmm. that every woman I want every woman to feel that way, that they have the right. Like I walked into the man cave. I said in the book, I walked into the man cave like I had every right to be there. Not even like I had every right. I had every right to be there. And I think they picked up on that. So they really didn't, you know, didn't fuck with me, you know. <laughs> That's good. Also, when I read that part in the book, that interviewer who brought that to your attention, I was just like, That's amazing that this guy. First of all, he was prepared and that jumped out at him and, uh, and that was cool. So, uh, this will be a difficult question of all the songs you've written. Do you have a favorite lyric? Like one that just, you still, to this day, you just, you, you just love it. You just think it's perfect. Um, well, yes, I do, but they're I have a couple actually that I'm really proud of that are completely different. Um, they're completely different vibes. One of them is Invincible, actually. Yeah. Um, that song, if anything, is like quintessentially me. You know, whether it's musical, um, I wrote it for Pat Benatar, so it has melodies that are they jump around a lot. Not every, everybody could sing that song. Um, but it's dark, it's edgy. The lyrics are really about, you know, and with the power of conviction, there is no sacrifice and very dramatic, you know? Yeah. Yeah, sure. Uh, um, it's a do or die situation. We will be invincible. I mean, that's about as anthemic as I can get, you know? Yeah.
So, and, and it was, it was an honest moment when I wrote it. Uh, I tend to like write in more darker formats uh, a lot, but I decided I wanted to write a song. Um, I ended up writing it with Mike and Mike actually had the title, which was the best. He had been wanting to write a song called that for a long time. And that's one of the only super positive songs that I've written. And it's really hard to write like, you know, a, a positive song and not sound cheesy, you know, yeah. or preachy. Yeah. So you have to really like write from an honest place. And, and we did, and, 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 and it's very dramatic. And, you know, it's funny because every single singer, but for Tina Turner has sung the lyric wrong in the chorus. And I've had a lot of people cut the song, but it's, because you know you try and rhyme words together that's part of lyrical writing right and and it goes you're simply the best better than all the rest better than anyone anyone i ever met um i'm stuck on your heart i hang on every word you said and it's said tear us apart baby i would rather be dead so it's said and dead and every singer says say i hang on every word you say tear us apart baby i would rather be dead So um, people don't realize like, you know, that the work that comes that comes along with writing a song and it doesn't always have to be like complicated or or, you know, uh, explicit or anything like that. It just has to be good, you know? Yeah. That's something that everybody can sing. Well, I'm bummed that these people that are recording the best aren't at least checking out the lyrics. They're not reading well, because they don't know. They're just sort of inheriting it. They go on the internet and I mean, oh my God, it's so, I have so much fun looking at the lyrics on the internet that people think my lyrics are, I mean, some of them, I wish I could remember some of them, but they're, they're, they're hilarious sometimes, you know, maybe a lyric book is something you should uh, put out next. Well, I'm thinking of doing sort of like a grimoire sort of um, coffee table book with lyrics and tips on how to write songs, you know, not anything that I've been taught ever, but that I've acquired. And I never really thought about it, you know, like when I was writing, I never thought, oh, well, this is why we have a bridge. I just sort of instinctively knew, but right. I think I've been able to explain it now because I do master classes once in a while, um, how, you know, how to do this or what an arrangement is or what a copyright is. I think... I think like a really fun book with 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 um, graphics and photos and all kinds of things that it could be the next thing. What was the song as you were writing it? You knew this is going to be a hit. This is a hit without a doubt. Every song. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, I knew that with Love is a Battlefield. Okay. I did not know that with the best. I mean, who knew that that was that's the biggest song in my in my catalog. That's the um, gift that keeps on giving. Oh my God, it's it's insane, and you can't plan for that. You know, you just have to write right. from an honest place. And I guess it's like looking for all you you hope to hit the mother low, but you don't know where it is. You know. Right. Um, but I knew when we wrote "Love Is a Battlefield" that Pat would have a hit with it. You know, and so did so did Mike. Yeah. We just knew it. You know, we because because Pat called us up, and that's in the book. There's the whole story how that came to be, and the fun things that we kind of went through getting to know each other, Mike and I, because it was really only like the second or third song we had written together. In fact, the first song we'd ever written together was a big hit too. And I knew that when we wrote it, I thought, wow, this is really a good song. We wrote a great song, but 
we wrote it for my band. He had signed my band Spider and we were doing our second record and uh, I still felt that we needed a single. So I had gone to him behind the band's back and asked if he would write a song with me, which was better be good to me. And then six months later, Tina cut it. And it was it's definitely one of the staples. Like when she record when she performs live, yeah. she always does that song. And I, I knew it was a good song too. But Battlefield, I was like, you know, this is such a weird song. It's gotta do well. I mean, the title alone was so weird, you know. Yeah. Is um and the flip side of that, is there a song that you were you wrote and you thought that it was gonna be huge and it just didn't catch fire for whatever reason okay i'm going to tell you a funny story when tina cut the best it did okay it only went to like number 16 which you know we thought it would at least go top 10 right and then it kind of fizzled and we thought oh what a shame you know yeah and then it took on a life of its own over the years i mean and here it is 40 years later and there's very few people on the planet that don't know that song at this point, if I travel or whatever, you know, it's, it's one of those songs. And, um, it, we just didn't even think it was a hit. I mean, we thought it was a hit, but we didn't think it was going to end up doing like really as well as it did because it kind of fizzled and then it kind of backed up and then went like that, you know, it it took some time. It's funny. The songs that you think, like, I would have never, I would have thought that was like a number one hit. Like I interviewed Dave Stewart a couple months ago. And when I was looking at Eurythmic songs, I would have swore sisters are doing it for themselves was the number one hit. And it went to number 18 or something. It's really? like kind of, yeah. I it was the number one, but then the no, people say that about yeah. the best. They think, Oh, that was, no, it was number one, actually the best in, in parts of the world, but not right. in America. Not in America. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, I had, I had one other song. I just wanted to say it was sure by the divinal or it's going we shouldn't say the divinals it's divinals divinals um and you know they're known for i touch myself which billy steinberg who's a great friend of mine wrote incredible song but before that i had written a song called pleasure and pain and it was huge on mtv but it didn't chart here it didn't do anything and it was that was a disappointment because it was number one in australia and all these other places and i thought it was a hit song so so that's one of the ones that's one of the ones. Break the body with a bag in your head. Doesn't make sense from where I stand. Baby, baby. Oh, why you want to miss it? Sooner or later, I'll find my place. Find my body, but I fix my face. If you had a golden ticket and you could just cash that in and you could work with any artist right now, a veteran artist, a new artist, anyone, who would you cash that golden ticket in for? Well, that's a tough one because there's a few. All right. Do I get more than one ticket? You're Holly Knight. You should get more than one ticket. 
Okay. Well, one is an established artist, which is Lady Gaga. I just, I think oh. she's amazing. I think we would be really good together. Yes. Um, Cause you know, her stuff is almost like sort of eighties pop in a lot of ways, you know? Yeah. For sure. So she would definitely be one. And then there's a, a new group out that I've been kind of stalking their manager. <laughs> um, and I've been telling everybody about them for the last year. And they're called Maniskin. I don't know if you've heard no, of them. No, I don't know them. Yeah, it's like M-A-N-E-S-K-I-N. They're a new band. They're Italian. Okay. They won the Eurovision um, last year, but in the rock category. You know, okay. I, don't, I usually don't pay attention to Eurovision because it's a little bit vanilla for me. Um, but this is a rock band and they're bringing rock back and it's four pieces. Um, they're all super talented. They're all gorgeous. They have some really good songs. I think their new album is being produced by Max Martin, but I just want to get my hands on them. Um, because what I first heard was very, very rock and the kind of stuff they're doing with Max Martin is good, but it's very, it's pop the way, you know, kind of the direction of Kate, Katy Perry or the, the other stuff that Max Martin does. So I love them. But I'd also like to say I'd like to work with Harry Styles and Gio Lipa and Adele, you know. Yeah, of course. I have a whole list. So. And again, I can't believe that this isn't happening on a day-to-day -day basis. It's very frustrating, but yeah. I mean, it's the world we live in, you know. They're, these stars are so sequestered. And now that there's social media they're and you know they're being so you know hidden and and protected now in a way that they're not as accessible they're like so big they're such mega stars yeah. from you know they're getting like whether it's youtube or social media they're getting up to a billion hits and stuff and it's it's, it's insane you know yeah um it wasn't like that that was the other thing that was great in the 80s i just had access to um so many great artists sometimes with my own tenacity you mm -hmm. know my own sort of stalking them, sort of, not really. I didn't really stalk them, but you know, I had to be creative, you know? Yeah, of course. Um, I want to give a shout out to some songs that you wrote that might not get enough recognition. I want to start with, of course you wrote the warrior. That's the, that's what the book title is based on, but the song hands tied from that album is fantastic. Like, it's probably my favorite song on that album. I just love it so much. I can listen to it over and over and over on a loop. Patty loves that song too. And, and it's funny. It's in fact, she, she emailed me today, which is really weird that we're talking about this because she loves that song. And um, I'm doing a couple of gigs to you sort of celebrate the book release. And so I just did one in LA at the bourbon room last week. Um, but I'm doing one December 19th at the cutting room in New York city. And I'm keeping my fingers crossed that she, she uh, is going to come down and, and, and sing, but if she does, we'll probably do Hands Tied too, because I know she loves that song, and I do too. It was the second single, and that's, you know, you asked before, do you ever wonder why a song, you know that it just sounds like a hit, and you yeah. wonder why it wasn't? I think that was one of those songs as well. Yeah, it's just fantastic. And now I'm bummed that I missed this Bourbon Room show here in L.A. How did I not know about this? I don't know. We were advertising it everywhere. And, um, you know, maybe it was because it was after Thanksgiving. Uh, I think a lot of people had just come home. And then the next week we played. And I don't know. Well, if if you do it again, contact come me. Come to New York. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. You, you wrote some hits for heart. But... I'm really partial to Tall, Dark, Handsome Stranger. 
Such a killer song. Thank you. Just so good. It's, it's got some beautiful sentiment. Sorry, yeah. go ahead. What's another one? Oh, well, this one, this one was big. And but the story in the book, I was very disappointed that the artist, um, well, how do I say it? It's love touch. Baby, I don't know why. But somehow I always seem to get tangled up in my I yes. love that song. <laughs> and I just read this part last night that when it appeared on one of Rod's compilation albums and he wrote liner notes about it, he wasn't really kind to it. No, I mean, it was it was um, devastating for me at the time because when I gave him the song and I wrote it, um, well, you, you'll read about it in the book, but yeah. he was in love with the tune and then all of a sudden, he, and he had a big hit with it. It was top yeah. five. Um, and it's one of my favorite. There's some beautiful lyrics in, in that song that yeah. um, I kind of defy him in the book because I, I said, well, you didn't say that at all. You sent me flowers and thanked me uh, for writing you a killer song. Yeah. Um, and then when I ran into him decades later, like, I don't even think he remembers if it even, I, you know, I can't explain these things that happen, but yeah, it's, um, it's strange. He was very friendly and very nice and very supportive. And, and it's almost like he had never written something derogatory in the liner notes. And um, I don't know. All I can say is there's a lot of uh, ass kissers around stars, and, <laughs> you know, whispering in ears. And yes. What can I say? Whenever I listen to an album, because I still listen to albums. And in the 80s, when I would listen to an album and a song would grab me, then I would look to see who wrote it. It's always a Holly Knight song. Uh, oh, thank when, you. when meatloaf bad out of hell three came out, I listened to this and this song alive. It's my favorite song on that album. And I look Holly Knight involved in that song. I'm still alive. Must've been a miracle. It's been a hell of a ride. Destination still unknown. It's a fact of life. If you make one wrong move. With the gun to your head You better walk the line Or you'll be left for dead So good. Thank you. Well, I guess I'm a I'm what you call a common denominator. Common denominator for sure. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right. Let me tell some people, we're going to talk some Christmas music real quick. Hollynight.com. That's K-N-I-G-H-T. Twitter at Holly Knight Life and Instagram at Holly Knight Vision. The book is out now. Everyone go get it. Put it on your Christmas list. Buy it for someone who loves 80s music or loves MTV. There's something in this book for everyone. All right. I, I gave you a little bit of homework. Uh, Holly's top five Christmas songs. First of all, you always dress in black. You don't look festive, but are you a Christmas person? Do you get into the holiday season? Totally. And I'm Jewish, but I've always celebrated uh, Christmas and Hanukkah. Okay. Um, and, you know, I I'm I have two sons that, you know, when you're a parent, as, as parents will know, yeah. you kind of vicariously live through your kids. So even if you were growing up and you didn't do something by the time you're a parent, you kind of like, you know, you you act like you're suffer, suffering through watching, you know, the Lion King or the Little <laughs> Mermaid for the hundredth time, which you would never do with a grown up movie, but you actually really kind of like enjoy it, you know? Yeah. So yes, I have the tree. I have, I put on Christmas music. I bake Christmas things. And, um, you know, I actually was going to wear red. I was going to wear red because I was thinking of Christmas and <laughs> I, I, I don't think I would have known. I wouldn't have known who I was talking to if you had read on. I just wouldn't know. You know what? I think when I get older, I'm going to just go the opposite. I'm going to wear only white and I'm going to wear lots of silver jewelry and just be all in like a white witch or something. <laughs> okay, here we go. In no order whatsoever. This one on the list is one of my wife's favorites and she loves this version uh, specifically. Santa Baby by Eartha Kitt. Santa baby, just slip a sable under the tree for me Been an awful good girl, Santa baby So hurry down the chimney tonight Santa baby a 54 convertible to light blue I'll wait up for you, dear Santa baby So hurry down the chimney tonight Think of all the fun I've missed Think of all Love it. I so mean, good, Mike. Yep. And I mean, Madonna did a version, Taylor Swift did a version, but it, nothing is even close to Eartha Kitt's version. No, I mean, she's like the original Catwoman. Uh, yes. Yeah. Series, you know, and yeah. Um, yeah, no, she owns that that one. And, 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 and the lyrics on that song are so clever, too. I mean, it's like uh, all about uh, materialism and. It's it's just funny. It's a funny it's, lyric. It's, it's very- tongue in cheek, and yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, have yourself a merry little Christmas. The Carpenters' version. Have yourself a merry little Christmas. Let your heart be light. From now on, I trust.
do you feel that the Carpenters are underrated? Completely. Oh, my God. I am a bona fide Carpenter fan. You know, there's like I'm a rocker and I like really hard music and yeah. nine nails and all that stuff. But when something is just sentimental and really good, I, I just melt. And believe it or not, you know what I listen to in my kitchen? I don't listen to rock music because I do it. You know, the uh -huh. last thing I want to listen to. I listen to either, uh, you know, like songs from the American Songbook, like the 40s station. For instance, on Sirius, there's the Junction, 40s Junction channel, yeah. which I love. And the older, the better, you know. Um, and, I, and it's just like those old-fashioned sentimental songs. And there are a lot of them that were written back then that are still staples when it comes to these great Christmas songs. Um, yeah. And then the other thing I listen to is French music. I listen to French pop music or old French music. Because I think when the pandemic happened, um, I couldn't travel. No one could travel. So I put on French music so I can pretend I'm in Paris. <laughs> I listen to it all the time. And, you know, my son comes through the kitchen. It's like, can you play anything but that? I mean, it's all you play, you know. Um, but I'm really kind of nostalgic in the way. And for the, the Carpenters, I mean, Karen Carpenter had the most pure, wonderful, beautiful voice. Yes. And I almost, when I hear, you know, I hear her singing, I just like, it just, it, it does something to me, you know? Yeah. When I see uh, Billie Eilish and her brother Phineas, they make me think of the Carpenters, not because their music sounds like it, but because they've, they've got that brother sister thing. And, um, yeah. and they, and I just, that's what I think of when I see Billie. It's and intimate. It's yes. intimate. And Billie Eilish, you know, the beauty of her is her intimacy. She's another one I would love to work with. Um, but she doesn't really need me. I mean, she's doing it on her own, you know. Uh, this is one of my favorites is the Christmas song by Nat King Cole. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. Jack Frost nipping at your nose Yuletide carols being sung by choir And folks dressed up like Eskimos Everybody knows A turkey and some mistletoe Help to make the season bright. Tiny tots with their eyes. For me, that's the that's the number one classic Christmas album of really? all time. Yeah. I, I just love that one. I think because when I was a kid, my my parents played that one, so it just kind of stuck with me. You want to wear a turtleneck and have a cup of yeah. hot cocoa with marshmallows in it that you're stirring yeah. with a candy cane. You're sitting by the fire and you're hearing that King Cole. Yeah. I still I can't thought, believe. You know, I thought the song was called "Chestnuts Roasting on an Open Fire" for the longest time. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I Yeah, people, you know, and that's what people call it sometimes too. But yeah. I can't believe if they're making all these rock biopics that we're not getting one on Nat King Cole. That would be incredible. Because yeah. I don't think people know a lot about his history, and they should. I'll be home for Christmas. Bing Crosby version, another classic. I'll be home for Christmas You can plan on me Please have snow And mistletoe And presents on the tree Christmas Eve will find me where the love light gleams. I'll be home for Christmas. Yeah, there's a lot of different versions of it, but you know, yeah. you got to go back to the source. You know, that one was a toss up between that and White Christmas because, 
Yeah. I'm really corny. I watch that movie every year. <laughs> I, I can you know, sit and, I, you know, the song Sisters with the fans and yeah. sisters, mm -hmm. Lord help the mister that comes between me and my sister. <laughs> I mean, I love lyrics like that, you know. Last but not least, uh, a more modern day artist, Michael Buble with Holly Jolly Christmas. And I just love that song so much. Have a holly jolly Christmas. It's the best time of the year. Now, I don't know if there'll be snow, but have a cup of cheer. Have a holly jolly Christmas. And when you walk down the street, say hello to friends you know and everyone you meet oh the mistletoe is hung where you can see somebody waits for you kiss her once for me have a holly jolly christmas and in case you didn't hear Oh, by golly, have a holly jolly Christmas this year. Well, I have a personal uh, reason for loving that song because my name's in it. But um, oh, that, yeah. I, that's true. There's a lot of Christmas. There's like the holly and the ivy. Yeah. The falls with boughs of holly. But, you know, his voice is just so sensational and so... I mean, he's kind of like a freak in in a, in a modern day <laughs> age because he he has the kind of voice that would have been in, you know you would have heard that voice during the forties yeah. and um, he does a lot of Christmas songs great. I, it was really yeah. tough for me to pick one, but I you know had well, you, to. You, you know, by the way, in the book at the end for people that buy the book, it, I was asked by someone, you know, what if if someone asked you what were like some songs, the top ten songs you wish you had yes. written. I love this part. I love this part of the book because. Yeah. Lou Reed and uh, Todd Rundgren and Fragile by Sting. I mean, I was like, you picked great songs. Oh, good. I'm glad you think so. It was yeah. really hard, but I had to look at, um, I mean, there's a lot of songs I love that are great records, but aren't necessarily great songs. I can give you an example, like okay. uh, Love My Way, Psychedelic Furs. I love that record. Mm -hmm. And I later found out that Todd Rundgren actually produced that. Yes, he did. I, yeah. I didn't know. Um, but it, it, it's not a song I wish I'd written, you know, I just yeah. love the, the record of it and the way they do it. But when it comes to songs that are just stand alone, um, I'm glad you like that because. Yeah, uh, I thought that was cool. Um, and I think the Todd song you picked is Can We Still Be Friends, mm -hmm. which is just such a great song. We can't play this game anymore, but can we still be friends? Things just can't go. Well, he had so many and, and, you know, he was just such a big influence for me yeah. uh, when I was, when I was growing up, you know? Uh, so yeah, I had fun with that. I also, uh, I, I, these boots are made for walking. You keep saying you've got something for me. Something you call love, but confess You've been a messin' where you shouldn't have been a messin' And now someone else is getting all your best These boots are made for walking And that's just what they'll do One of these days these boots are gonna walk all over you
that to me is like, and, and what's weird about it is it's an empowering song for a woman because it says, but you know, one of these days these boots are going to walk all over you, you know. But written by um, a man. Written by a man. And I don't know what else. I looked him up and uh, I, I couldn't see what else he'd written, but he wrote that song. So, you know, even get a, having writing one song that's like uh, timeless like that. Yeah. Uh, it's hard, it's a hard thing to do, as Bruce Springsteen said. I, d I don't know if you've seen the new interview with him and um, Howard Stern, but it's phenomenal. And he talks about that. You know, it's very hard to be in the top upper echelon. I mean, it's like a funnel that just gets smaller and smaller right. the higher up you go. And I just feel when I when he said that, I feel like so fortunate that I have to pinch myself sometimes to go. Well, you know, you did it. You did yeah. it. You, you did do you it. Worked hard and. I'm proud of that. And what about Holly Knight writing Christmas music? Have you ever tackled any Christmas music? Um, no, I haven't. I haven't. Is that, is that something you even want to do? Uh, I don't know. Okay. Okay. <laughs> there's a lot of things I want to do. That hasn't actually crossed my mind. Um, you know, there's so many records out there that come out of Christmas. But the thing yeah. is, it's an interesting question because there are always covers of songs that we mm -hmm. know and love, and it's everybody doing their interpretation of it. So if I were to do it, I'd have to, yeah, they'd have to be totally original. And Yeah. Well, um, I, I recommend. I'd like to write one song, but yeah. a whole album's worth, I don't know. Uh, C's Christmas album from two or three years ago is amazing. So if you've never heard that, oh, check yeah. it out. Is it original material? It's all originals. With he, She did uh -huh. it with Greg Kirsten. Is that his name? He's a big producer. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, you know, you know. Well, Mariah Carey, you know, she wrote one song, but she cer certainly hit the mother load with that yeah, one. Did. That one will be around forever. That's a modern-day classic. Yeah. All right. Everybody, I want you to go buy I Am The Warrior, My Crazy Life Writing The Hits, and Rocking The MTV 80s. For all things Holly Knight, just go to hollyknight.com, and you're going to find it there. Buy this book. Yeah, there's lots of stories with Kiss, Aerosmith, Bon Jovi, Hall & Oates, Ozzy Osbourne, Hart, Pat Benatar, Patti Smythe, um, Animotion, My Band Device. Um, it's Fighter. all in there. Everything. Yeah. One last thing before we go. I need a play out song. What song from your career should we end this episode with? Uh, how about the warrior? I think it's appropriate. I think that's the one Holly. Thank you so much for your time. Continued success with this book. And I can't wait to hear your collaborations with Lady Gaga and everyone else that you should be collaborating with. Yes, I Fingers agree. Crossed. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Take Good care. To Holly. Talk to you again. Bye Pat. Same. We'll see you soon. Okay. Bye. Bye.